Would you please give a warm welcome? Won't you stand up and give honor to Jake Phillips as he comes forward? Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm going to put this down here. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, good evening. I uh, started out sort of depressed this morning. Yeah, that'd be good. Just slightly depressed this morning that uh, I was getting up to preach again. Just the anxiety of preaching, right? But um, this happens to me every time, and then I get closer and closer, and I get more and more excited, and now I'm just over there, like, hopping up and down, ready to go. So that's just, that's just kind of the way it, way it goes. But um, yeah, my name is Jake Phillips, and uh, I have a wife and three kids. This is the first time I'm probably preaching that they're not here with me, because I just put my wife and one of my sons on an airplane to Colorado so he can go do a, a six-month ministry thing. Um, and I've got two boys that are twins, and one is going to the Air Force, the other is taking his next steps into ministry, and my daughter's here, she's 16 going on 25, and they're just, they're running around in different directions, so, but we have lived in Thailand for, I think, maybe three years now. Um, Prior to that, I actually grew up here, I grew up in a very small town. Does anybody know where Osborne, Missouri is? Okay, so, yeah, that's where I grew up, um, sort of. I'm still growing up. But uh, with that said, uh, after I I grew up there, my dad has been involved in ministry forever. My dad was a a druggy hippie, saved out of the uh, Jesus movement back in the day, and drugged me around doing ministry my whole childhood, which I I borderline resented. Um, not because I was against ministry, but, but I was just always looking out at the at the trees in the forest thinking I'd rather be over there doing that. And um, really, I wanted to work as a cowboy, but I didn't have any cowboy skills and nobody was hiring. So I went into law enforcement and I did that for 20 plus years. Um, did every cool thing there was to do in law enforcement. And um, at some point, I think law enforcement either makes you a better person or a worse person. I always believed that, and it made me a better person for a long time, and then it was starting to make me a worse person, I think. So I'm, I'm grappling with the, the evil, you know, that you see every day, and just, just the hate and the violence, and, you know, trying to not let other people's sin, you know, cause me to sin and become hateful and angry and... It's like, God, what do I do with this? You know, this is heavy. And I learned many, many lessons in law enforcement. But the biggest one I learned is that truly the gospel is the answer to uh, the evil and the hate and and all of the things out there. And because of that, my heart turned towards ministry. But because of my background, people have told me as I'm doing ministry now, oh, you should you should teach on the armor of God, you know, because I used to do SWAT and I'd wear all the helmets and shields and and all of the stuff. Um, That really doesn't qualify you for teaching the Bible, you know. Um, So it's probably good I didn't. However, I feel like my last, uh, my time in ministry, God has really shown me a lot about the armor of God and I found it to be uh, a critical aspect because what I do is, is 
I help uh, the gospel presence. I help gospel workers, faith-based organizations, all the way from legacy organizations down to mom and pop people that are going out to do ministry, uh, figure out how to look at safety as a stewardship issue in their ministry um, to where even, even to where it's a place of, of worship at times instead of being foolish as they go. Because in reality, if you're unreached and unengaged by the gospel in 2024, there's probably a reason for it. You probably live somewhere that's dangerous, that's hostile towards the gospel, or there's conflict. Um, and so now, I mean, I grew up as a missionary kid in Mexico, and when I was there, they said, that village is safe, don't, you know, go here. This village is unsafe, don't go here. But what we're finding in ministry now that that God is in these places with these people, and he's telling gospel workers, come. And so we're just helping them do that. So we train them uh, on the front end on how to avoid uh, unnecessary victimization. We help them separate the difference between persecution versus victimization. We help them avoid certain things. We train them what to do if they're kidnapped, carjacked, uh, illegally detained, interrogated, uh, you know, active shooter, you name it, we train them what to do. And then when something happens to them on the other side, we'll do the uh, crisis consulting and, and management and all that. We'll help them do the negotiations to get unkidnapped or uh, fly in somewhere and help them figure out what to do as the security situation has changed in a country. And so that's the ministry that, that I do. And as I've done that, uh, some of what we do is very practical and just security-minded, but we are a faith-based group that absolutely wants to weave the gospel into everything that we're doing, and we want to bring, uh, we want to help the gospel presence, and we want to help people understand things from a biblical perspective, including things like risk. And in that, I have found that putting on the armor of God is absolutely critical if you're going to do ministry. Um, you know, the Bible really, if you don't understand the Bible, just involve yourself more in ministry. And it will probably become clear to you because it was written um, largely in many ways for people doing ministry. So I want to talk in Ephesians, and I want to start with Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. I'm talking fast because I have a lot to say, not because I'm nervous. <clears throat> you guys know this. If you, you know, went to Sunday school, then you know this. But it says, and Paul's talking, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in, heaven, in the heavenly places. So we look at this idea of we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, and sometimes we think, oh, well, that, that's foolish to, to prepare for that. But I mean, as a policeman, I mean, I've had to wrestle against flesh and blood many, many times, right? Satan will use evil men to do evil things. It's, it's not necessarily saying that you're never going to have to wrestle against flesh and blood, but, but we have to look at who Paul's talking to and who the audience is. And, and Paul is talking about really the bigger battle, the spiritual battle 
um, of how to handle all of this. And he's talking to the church in Ephesus. Now, Paul is in chains, um, but he had an effective ministry there. You can read about it in Acts 19, and he did ministry there for a long time. And he's writing to uh, people of that, uh, that was his congregation while he's now imprisoned by the Romans. And I think that's very important because I want to look back at Ephesians 1, verse 1, where he's describing who he's talking to. Context matters in this conversation. And, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ. So, if we look at the term Christian, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, you know, what does that mean? What does that mean when you hear somebody say that? What does it mean when I go to somewhere like Ukraine and I tell them I'm a Christian, right? You're dealing with people's perception of this because certainly you can have people that are culturally Christian and they identify as Christian, but I like how Paul specifies here and are faithful in Christ Jesus because when I, I did a training, I've been to Ukraine three times since the war started. And the second time I went, I did a training for a bunch of uh, Polish and Ukrainian volunteers that were getting supplies in Poland and they're going all the way to the battle lines uh, in eastern Ukraine. And I showed up to support a fellow believer that had been mortared in an attack over there and he wanted his team to have some training. So they invited some people in and I knew that I don't know, maybe some, I mean, most of these people were working for a faith-based group. But I get up there to talk, and we have a whole PowerPoint that is all, uh, you know, we do our first two, three hours just on the Bible, you know, just to, just to make sure we have a foundation of biblical theology. And I'm getting ready to teach, and my Polish translator leans over to me and says, yeah, looking at the audience, um, most of them are unbelievers, and many of them are actually hostile towards the gospel. Oh, thanks for the heads up, okay? But in their context, you know, what, what is their perception of Christians? Look at all the wars and all of the things that have happened over there. I mean, even Putin himself claims to be a Christian. So does Madonna, by the way. And also, you know, from Putin's perspective, this Ukraine war is about reuniting the, um, the uh, Russian Orthodox Church, right? So for many people in that part of the world, just the idea of being a Christian isn't necessarily your perception, you know, of what it means to be a Christian. So much so that sometimes we'll go places and say, well, we're, we're disciples of, of Christ, we're followers of Christ, in an attempt to distinguish ourselves culturally from people's perception. So I like how Paul is, is really describing this, because when I look at the armor of God, um, I think maybe as a kid I just thought of this as imagery, and something like that. But what I've found is, is that this is really uh, discipleship. You know, we're really discipling ourselves and trying to become more Christ-like as we read this and gaining God's perspective. Um, and just the same way Paul, you know, dealt with a lot of sin and evil and hate and hostility towards the gospel, that's still the situation we see in the world today. So now I want to read Ephesians uh, thirteen eighteen. <clears throat> this is where he gets into the 
actually talking about the armor of God here. 6, 13, 6, verse 13 through 18. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may, be, you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So as as a guy who moved my family overseas into a different culture and works with gospel workers and missionaries in crisis and distress all of the time, I have found that, that being able to do this is critical. And for me, many times it starts with the helmet of salvation. That's really how it started with me because, again, I was a, I was a cop and I'm wrestling with this idea of, you know, how do I reconcile this? How do I not let hate grow in my heart or apathy and being cold to people and, you know, as a cop, this is why I say it can make you a, good, a better person or a worse person. I mean, on one hand, you feel like a genius every night and you feel like the smartest guy in the world because it's like, oh, man, look what that guy did. He got caught so easily. I could commit a crime so much better than him, you know. <clears throat> or, you know what, I, I've got challenges in marriage, but I'm not married to that lady. So thank goodness I get to go home to my wife or, or, or I'm looking at something tragic that's happened to this family, and I can just go, you know what? I can count my blessings because my kids are safe, you know? And so this is what you do on salvation. Christ, I'm no more righteous than them. And, and that's the key lens to begin to put on the helmet of salvation, because when we can understand that, we can understand that as evil as this person is, uh, I've done evil myself, and, and I can see that God still loves me, so maybe there's a place for me to still love them, right? And so I'm in uh, Israel. I came into Israel. Uh, the, the Hamas attacks happened on October 5th, and because I was in Thailand on that side of the world, I started monitoring what was going on right away. Part of my job is just to sort of uh, drop pins on a map where everything's happening so that when people call me in crisis, I can, you know, help them decide, do I get in a car and try to go to the airport? Do I stay where I'm at? What's the situation? And so I'm tracking things right away, trying to figure out what's going on, which led to uh, ultimately me going into Israel. I think I arrived October 13th, and because of uh, missiles that were coming into Ben-Gurion Airport. I had to go to Amman, Jordan first and take a land route uh, to get into Israel. And when I got there, I knew one couple in Israel, somebody that we had trained a long time ago. <clears throat> and so I knew them, and I reached out to them before I went. Hey, can you, you don't have to care for me. You don't have to take care of me. Um, you don't have to do the things that I'm doing, but can you at least help me figure out where to stay and give me a little bit of advice? Um, so I met with them and, uh, it's a couple from Oklahoma. Um, so she's, she's a gal from Oklahoma. I'm 
getting settled in Lviv, and we had just had our meal uh, when I had my second uh, rocket attack experience in Israel. I'd already had one that night. And really all that means is Hamas launches a rocket up in the air. The Israelis have this Iron Dome system, so they detect it. If it's going to land in an abandoned piece of property, a lot of times they'll just let it land and blow up. But they know the trajectory, so you'll hear an audible alarm outside. You move to a very small room, interior room, and the alarm goes off for 30 seconds, one minute, and then boom, you hear it intercept out of the sky as one or two missiles, whatever they're intercepting. So we had just had the, the rocket attack. We come back out to their dinner table, and, and actually, even though they're choosing to stay, sometimes we help people evacuate, sometimes we help people stay. Um, not Neither one is right or wrong. It just depends on the situation and what's going on, but we help people it's an excruciating decision for people to go through. Do we leave our local partners and, and move to safety? Do we stay here? Um, we help people with those decisions. But in their case, they saw a ministry opportunity. They were choosing to stay. But they really couldn't leave because their, their one-year-old baby didn't have a passport. So they're, they're stuck anyways. Their passport appointment was in a, like a week uh, away. But she's sitting at the table... <clears throat> And she tells me, I'm struggling with hate in my heart towards Hamas. Friends of ours are in the reserves. They've went off to fight. We don't know if we're going to see them again. I have a funeral that I have to attend uh, coming up. I don't know what to say. She's watching the news. She's like, I'm struggling. What do I do with that? And I started talking to her about the helmet of salvation and just understanding uh, we can look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, because when we understand our own salvation, we can begin to have uh, change our hearts towards people, whether that's maybe even Hamas. And it says, chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespass and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. And if we can understand our own salvation, it can take us to a place from pride to humility. And it can take us from a place of hate to a place of love. That's the power of the gospel. It can take us from a place of being cold to people and apathetic to compassionate. And if we're going to do spiritual battle, we have to be able to do this, right? And so then we look at the the belt of truth, and what we're talking about here is the truth of the gospel. We help every type of evangelical ministry. So we'll help discipleship ministries, church planning ministries, Bible translators, aviation uh, ministry, medical ministry, any type of evangelical ministry. We train, we consult with, we help, 
But I had this maybe unconscious bias in my mind that somebody had put in there a long time ago that I'm, I'm elevating ministries based on, you know, well, how many people get saved? You know, how many people get healed? How many? And when you get into this numbers thing, and somehow I had unconsciously downgraded medical missions a little bit, maybe in my mind, even though I, I like medical missions, but that, that changed when uh, I became a patient. So finding Burma on the map is challenging for some, but uh, Myanmar, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a country with a lot going on in it. I won't go too deep into it. It's the world's longest running civil war. It's been going on since World War II. It's at its peak right now. It's a very violent place. Um, we consult with many people over there, but, uh, to tell, a, to tell the story quickly, I had trained up to get in jungle shape so I could go over there and, uh, do an assessment of what's going on and see what type of ministry is occurring. And this was a pretty, pretty hard journey. I mean, I had to do some, some rucksack, uh, some, like a rucksack backpack up and down a mountain doing many things just to make sure that I didn't just decide to sit down and quit once I got over there, because now you're putting everybody at risk and the State Department and nobody's coming to, to get you. So you're, you're out there. You're in the middle of nowhere. It's a three-day jungle trek to get out there. And <clears throat> the reason I, I went in, because one of my sons had went in before me and the Burma Army had flown Russian jets over and just dropped bombs near him for, for a few days trying to target civilians that are out planting rice and doing things like that. So I had went in because they say, if you go in, we'll, we'll pull him out. Um, so when I went in, uh, when actually my son was treated there, he had a heat stroke. He had, they took him down to the river and dunked him in. And then when they brought him back up, uh, he woke up you know, on a bamboo floor surrounded by about 30 uh, Burmese female nurses in his underwear. So that was his introduction to, uh, to Burma. But when I went in, I went in with this guy named Dr. John, and Dr. John was educated at the London School of Medicine. I mean, the guy was very talented, educated, volunteered his time to live in the jungle in these hard conditions for months at a time. And uh, the monsoon start, the monsoon season started when I got there. So I'm staying in this bamboo hut way up on this um, hill, very steep. And I started sliding down a few times just to get to breakfast, and so I was, took my machete, and I was trying to walk up and find some bamboo to make a walking stick, and um, I had flip-flops on, because I'm trying to let my feet dry out, because the jungle will just get you every single way, so I, I've got the blade out, and I'm walking on this hill, and I'm, I'm sidestepping, because it's so steep, and I'm thinking, I'm gonna fall down, and I've got this machete out, and I thought, you know, I've, I've practiced judo for 20 years. I'm an expert at falling. If nothing else, I'll be fine. So I slipped. And when I slipped, I fell perfectly. I mean, my judo instructor would be proud of me. The problem is when I stood up, I had ants biting my arm. And all I did was this. Sliced my finger. Three stitches later. Never had stitches before. I'm down in there... Uh, surgery room that they had taken great care to be able to build. And all of a sudden, I became a big fan of medical missions. And I thought, man, you guys are delivering babies out here. You're 
helping people that are landmine victims. You're helping my son. You're helping me. I'm, I'm a big fan. How, with that said, as we look at the belt of truth, we need to understand there is, there is absolutely a place for Christian charity. Mow people's lawns, help people move, um, medical missions, all these things are, I mean, you're, you're following the model of Christ in helping people. But we have, to under, we have to ask ourselves, what is the best gift that we can give people? And ultimately, the best thing we can give people is the truth of the gospel. So if all we're doing is mowing people's lawns and helping people move, and, and that's all beautiful, and you are in the service of the Lord, but we do need to keep in mind what the best thing we can offer people is the gospel, and we need to find a way to be able to communicate that in addition to these things. <clears throat> My dad was a big fan of a uh, TV preacher named T.L. Osborne. Does anybody know who that was? Okay. Uh, and I was deer hunting with a guy two years ago, and he said, well, I, I worked for T.L. Osborne. I was in his ministry, and I was mentored by him. And he always used to say, when it came to unbelievers, the only thing that separates us and them is that we know something they don't know. And that's the, that's the humility in bringing the truth of the gospel, you know, into the situation. So we need to do that. And I want to look at, this, this is what I like about Ephesians. I mean, Paul was talking about all these things. We can look at Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 7. <coughs> this is the truth of the gospel. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That is the truth of the gospel. What is this? What am I saying here? What I'm saying is, I grew up, and sometimes people would say, well, my role as a Christian is, I'm just going to be a good witness. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be a great witness. That's my contribution, okay? Um, I will just tell you that, you know, God never asked you to just be a good witness, and without the power and the truth of the gospel and people hearing it, you're, you're, you're going to only be so effective in your ministry because, what, first of all, you know, you're not Jesus, and you're not going to be perfect. Right. Uh, you know, Peter tried to be perfect, and it led to a lot of frustration as he was trying to do the right thing. And um, even trying to do the right thing, you know, he was making mistakes. So we need to have a ministry strategy if we have a heart and compassion for people that extends beyond just being a good witness. But we can turn around now and look at the breastplate of righteousness. Because now uh, I'm going to actually take us out of Ephesians for just for a scripture, and I'm going to go to 1 Peter 2.12. Because your witness does matter. It certainly does. First Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the, amongst the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and that ultimately what you're doing is going to bring glory to God. So if you ask people, some people will uh, come up to people and say, how did you get where you're at in ministry? How did you get the ministry position that you're, you're doing? Uh, 
I think ultimately, if you talk to most people involved in ministry, they're going to tell you faithfulness. You know, not a not a, really a, probably a talent factor or or anything like that, but it's it's being faithful because if we care for people and we want to do spiritual warfare and we want to um, have God's heart towards people, um, you have to be found credible. This is, this is not about God finding perfect people. In fact, some, some people can elevate their sins so high in their own mind that they won't even do ministry because, you know, uh, you know that's not what the Bible asks us to do. It's, it's, Peter found this out. It's really not about you. It's about the gospel. And it's not cheap grace. We're not talking about cheap grace. But at the same time, we, people should see that you've had a Romans 12-2 experience, that you're not conformed to the patterns of this world, but that you've been transformed by the renewing of your mind, right, through discipleship, through the gospel. Um, credibility is something that leads to trust. When someone is in crisis, I deal with people in crisis all the time, and there's all these voices telling them what you should do. You should stay. You should go. You should do this. You should do that. The news is saying this. Everything is saying that. In all of that, whose voice do you listen to? You know? You're going to look for a voice that you find credible, that you trust. Credibility leads to trust. Trust, if we care about people, we should be leading them to the truth of the gospel. So this is, this is why I believe uh, the breastplate of light, righteousness is so critical if we're going to do ministry. Um, you know, then we look at the Bible as the sword. I mean, I feel like so much of this uh, is practical discipleship. How do we take uh, the armor of God, and what we're really doing is discipling ourselves to gain God's perspective on what's going on. Because ultimate reality is God's perspective on a situation. What is one way we do that? We understand the scripture, and we can apply the scripture to a situation. There's a, there's a lot of people that, you know, we can take scriptures out of context you know, I can do all things in Christ from a scripture that I take out of context, right? But if we can, you know, apply ourselves to understand, understand the scripture, uh, we, can, we can bring God's perspective into any situation that's going on in our family uh, or any type of ministry situation. <clears throat> and it's critical um, to be able to do that. I mean, Jesus, he had Satan... The evil one, when he's standing at the top of the temple and Satan is quoting scripture at him to jump off, you know, but Jesus knew the scripture well enough to quote scripture back to him, don't test the Lord your God, right? So we need this deep understanding um, to be able to bring God's perspective in. And then one of the things that I like to talk about the most with the armor of God, which was really under unexpected for me would be the shoes of the gospel peace. Because as a young man that was, you know, interested in, you know, military and police type things, you know, putting on the armor of God sound very exciting. We've got the shield and the sword and all these things. But I mean, the shoes, 
not very exciting, right? Really didn't spend a lot of time thinking about putting on the shoes uh, of the gospel. But I feel like the shoes of the gospel, being ready, you know, with the gospel, I could put in there like being focused on the gospel, being focused on gospel opportunities, because we can so easily become distracted and set our priorities that are something other than the gospel, whatever that is. Um, you know, that for some of us, that's entertainment, you know. For some of us, for um, it's one thing or another. A, a really big one, uh, I would say, would be politics. <clears throat> and here's where, like, I risk my whole reputation by talking about politics uh, up at the front. So with that said, I'm just going to share my experience and my mindset towards it now. And I'll preface it by saying I absolutely agree. Politics are important. Elections matter. I'm in all of that. I'm just telling you my personal story in this. And as I said, I have a a big background in uh, judo, jiu-jitsu, grappling. And when I go to grapple with somebody, I can tell if they're experienced in the first two, three seconds. Anybody that's an experienced grappler can do that. And the way you figure it out is, are they doing something that's ineffective and not going to work? And do they keep trying to do it? Because the the skill of a good grappler is, if I try to put a choke on you, but it's not going to work, I can identify that right away. Okay, I'm putting energy, effort into this, hoping for an outcome, but it's not going to happen. So a good grappler will let go of it right away and just transition to something else. And so for me, my experience with uh, politics was, at a time, I was very focused on it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what it did was it took my focus away from the gospel And I poured a lot of time and energy into something that was not producing what I wanted it to produce in my life. It wasn't, it was causing me to become cold to people and not compassionate to people. It was causing me to see myself from a place of pride and not humility. And it was taking away and driving a wedge between me and people and not creating an opportunity for me to do ministry and share the gospel. So for me... I understand that's, that's some people's calling, but, but I just had to say, you know what, I'm going to let it go. Because, you know, what's the, what's the most important and the best thing that I can do? And that, we talked about that. That's the belt of truth. That's the gospel. I want to focus on bringing that to people because that's the best thing I have to give. You know, even in uh, the security training that I do, I, I would have no interest in doing that if I wasn't helping uh, facilitate the gospel presence and the gospel advance. So uh, to tell a story of how I see that come about, um, so the first time I was in Ukraine was six days after the Russians invaded, and I spent some time in Poland. <clears throat> we were trying, we were going to some meetings with the 82nd Airborne, sitting in on their open source intel meetings and, and talking to people and just trying to figure out, okay, what's happening? How far are the Russians going to get? You know, what, what, is, what is it like if we cross over into Ukraine? What's the situation trying to, trying to figure all of this out? <clears throat> and in the middle of that, I met a, an American who was a Ukrainian pastor, married to a Ukrainian woman. He had been there about 13 years. 
This is six days after the invasion. We had some requests for men to help men get out of the country. Um, but the men were not allowed to leave because if you were military age, you had to stay. So we went to the border crossings in uh, Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, watching millions of women and children, I think about three million crossed in the time we were there, come across. And so we were talking to this pastor about these handful of guys that were trying to, to get out. <clears throat> and that Ukrainian-American pastor looked at us and said, Every Ukrainian male that leaves should be brought back and executed. He was angry. And that's where his heart and his focus was after six days as a pastor serving in Ukraine. And what struck me so much about it was that in the background, I'm working with this other church and these are Ukrainian nationals that are in Lviv. And Lviv was a, the Russians never made it to Lviv. So they're sitting around and they're saying, their church just like you guys, and they're saying, okay, we know what it means to be a church on a normal day. But what does it mean to be focused on the gospel and be the church in the middle of everything that's going on? And so what they decided to do, let's drive you know, the equivalent from here to, to maybe Wichita to Kiev and actually put ourselves into the danger zone where people are hiding and there's uh, rockets and everything coming in, run buses and vans around the clock 24-7, just members of the congregation so that we can move people to safety. And in that long drive, and while we have them stay the night here before we take them to the border, we're going to share the gospel with them. And we're going to share why we do what we do and why, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, the fact that intrinsically everybody has the same value and, and God loves you and we, we have the love of God in us. That's why you mattered enough to come. And I'm contrasting that with this pastor that's saying every male that tries to leave should be executed. I mean, he was overwhelmed and he was angry. But how do we, in the midst of everything going on, whether it's, whether it's uh, <clears throat> election year, COVID, some, some war going on, whatever it is, how do we as the body of Christ have our views? We, you can have our, our views, whether they're political, whatever they are, but still maintain a heart for the gospel and still see every person involved, whether it's the Russians. I met, I met a Russian, I didn't tell this story before. I met, when I, as soon as I got back from Ukraine, I was at uh, the embassy or the uh, immigration office in Thailand, and I was trying to get my visa renewed, and I met a guy, and he was getting the same, they were telling him the same thing. Oh, go downtown, go to this other station. We're too busy for the day. I said, man, you can ride with me. I'm from here. I got a car, hop on in. Where are you from? Russia, you know. This was, you know, day, I don't know, I mean, it was pretty soon. The war started. And he said, I'm, I'm just so scared of what the world thinks about us. I said, we're, we're praying for the Ukrainians. We're praying for the Russian soldiers that, that, you know, God would reach them. We're praying for the comfort of all the families involved. We're praying for, we're praying for you. You know, how do we look at everybody involved and have a heart 
for Christ for them? And how do we look at, God, what do you want to accomplish in the middle of everything that's going on? How do we do that individually? How do we do that as a body of Christ? Uh, I think it's absolutely critical. When I was in Israel, I was really shocked how surprised people were that I came. Because anytime there's a conflict, people are going to come. Uh, aid workers, people like me, we're going to show up. But I don't know, the Israelis didn't expect it. Didn't Every time I told them, yeah, I came in from Jordan a couple days ago, why would you come here? Well, being ready to share the hope that is inside of you creates an opportunity. There, I mean, the lady I'm renting the car from is in tears as I'm explaining to her why she matters to God. So we need to, to be ready for that. God, what do you want to happen here? And then we look at the shield of faith. And I'm, of course, reminded by this iron dome that I just experienced uh, in Israel. I think we had nine, nine interceptions while we were there. I mean, that's a good picture of uh, fiery darts that are coming in this shield of faith, it's, it's defensive, right? <clears throat> Why is this important? This is important because as you become involved in ministry, as you, you know, as we have and, and as we do in the future and we take our focus off of ourselves and we start to look to do ministry and care about other people, you're going to risk. You're going to risk your time, your reputation. You're going to risk, risk being laughed at. You're going to risk uh, sometimes lower forms of persecution, of, of job promotions, and all of these things. But whether you're risking, you know, whether you're an Oklahoma girl risking rocket attacks coming in from Israel or being laughed at, it's all risk. And we could just, if we look at spiritual battle, I mean, the, Paul calls it a spiritual battle. We could just use the word ministry sometimes equals trauma. And it's a battlefield, right? So what do we ask is, is there meaning in my adversity? What is the purpose of my suffering? Right? Because sometimes you will suffer. Uh, I mean, and, and we need to have our faith not just grounded in, okay, God loves me, so he, all these good things are going to happen to me. That, that's not really the type of faith that I'm talking about here. I'm looking at scriptures more like Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Yep. You know, do we have that, a place for that in our faith? Yep. We can look at uh, Daniel 3 in that chapter where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are being ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace because they don't want to break the first and second commandment. And what they say in faith, you know, O king, staying respectful, our God will save us, but if not, we will serve the Lord. Because if you're going to do battle, you have to be prepared to suffer for the gospel. How do we do that? Faith. Uh, I was training... Uh, what, I, a lot of times I train people, and they're being victimized. They're being kidnapped. Um, they're experiencing 
you know, maybe civil unrest, maybe they're being targeted because of the color of their skin, their nationality, because of value, they have money compared to where they're serving. There's all kinds of different <clears throat> reasons people get targeted, and if they're going to do ministry, they need to um, prepare for these things and all of that. But what is the biggest blessing for me personally is when I get to work with persecuted believers, which, which I do quite a bit. And I have several projects that are just waiting for me to be able to complete them. But one of the trainings I did in April is I went to Kolkata, India. Do you guys know about India? I think you guys know about India. You guys know Robert, right? Robert, I had lunch at Robert's house yesterday, so Robert's a friend of mine. <clears throat> In fact, I went to my first trip to India, I went with Robert. And, um, but I'm in Kolkata in April, and I'm teaching a class on hyperarousal, your body's response to adrenaline, sudden, acute, stressful, life-threatening type event. And why do we do this? We do this because we talk a lot about fear when we're helping people prepare. We're helping people count the costs of going. Um, fear can keep you alive, you know. My whole family rides motorcycles in Thailand, and if fear can be what causes you to put the helmet on. Fear can be what causes you, if you fall down on the road, to get up and out of the road quickly, right? Fear can help us. Fear is not always bad. <clears throat> the Bible talks about not having a spirit of fear, which is very important. Um, but you're helping people realize that your natural reaction to a high-stress sudden event where you're overwhelmed is not necessarily faithlessness. It, it is that you are fearfully and wonderfully designed by God. So you're helping people understand the physical reaction so that they then don't have self-condemnation after an event, which is very common. And I'm teaching this to a bunch of Indian pastors, and I said, does anybody have a story where they want to come up and talk about it? And I had two people come up. One was a big, burly uh, Indian guy. I shook this guy's hand, and I mean, you guys, you know, like, it was like, wow, this guy's for real. But yet, he gets up to make himself vulnerable in front of all of his colleagues to tell this story. We need to learn as Christians to not... Uh, tighten our, our armor around each other, but to be able to loosen it and be vulnerable with each other. Yeah. We don't do that very well. But he gets up and says, I was going to go witness to this village, and I got stopped by a mob, a Hindu mob, and they said, we know what you're doing, and if you come back this way, if you go and do what you're doing and you come back, you're going to pay a price. And he said, as I went to do ministry, I'm experiencing all these symptoms of hyperarousal. And I'm trying to play the guitar and sing. He said, I can't even remember the words because I'm just thinking, what's going to happen to me on my way back? And he's crying in front of all these men. And he said, when I came back, they pulled me off my scooter and they beat me. And they beat me for a long time. And he's... I don't know if he'd ever shared that story or, or how widely he shared it, but he's sharing it now. And he said, when they were done, I tried to climb back on my motorcycle and it wouldn't start because they, they damaged that too. And, and I walked home. But he said, yeah, this is important because we need to understand these things. And then a female came up to speak. And in, in that culture, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal if a female has worked herself up to a position of leadership in ministry, which she had done and done very well, and she had a lot of respect. <clears throat> and she said, 
I was serving in this, I was witnessing in this neighborhood, and then when I was done, I received a phone call from my friends who said, don't come back, because if you come back, they're going to hang you in the trees like they did the other Christians. So she said, I was really scared, and I'm processing these feelings, right? But she felt like God told her to go. That's where your faith comes in. What is the meaning in my suffering? And her husband said, I'll go with you and protect you. She said, don't come. It's a mob. There's too many. You can't protect me. You'll just be killed. So she went on her own, and she said, they grabbed me and sat me in a chair, and I stayed in that chair for five hours. They wouldn't let me get up. And she said, they kept coming at me as if to hurt me, but they never touched me. And she said, I felt like God was holding them back. And then eventually somebody came by and said, what are you doing to this lady? This is not right. They all began arguing. And she said, I just got up and walked away. So I love this story as hard as it was to hear, because here you have one guy who was beaten for his faith, and you have another story where God spared her, but their faith is still intact. They still see God as faithful and worthy of doing ministry. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Preach it. Preach it. So then in verse 18, it says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And I was training these pastors from Burma. They actually snuck across the Burma line and around the army to come into India to get my training. And people think I do risky things. I'm like, this is what these guys do. And I'm talking to the pastor to do an assessment of what their needs are as I can contextualize my training at the last minute to make sure I'm really giving them what they need if they're going to take all this risk. And he's telling me, when I was eight years old, uh, I was captured by the Burma army, and they used me to carry their bags and to, to march on the villages as they attacked so that I would go in front of them and step on the landmines before they got there. And he said, I'm doing a funeral this week for somebody in my congregation that uh, that's just happened to. And I'm giving you a snapshot into what these believers face. Uh, we began working with them because a whole family in their church was kidnapped for ransom by the, the police because they knew Western organizations funded their ministry. Um, so, but what they told me was I was training these farmers. By the way, that guy, if you met him, you wouldn't think a bad thing ever happened to him. The joy that he has, there's a big difference between being fortunate and being blessed. And we're, you're very fortunate to live where you live. We're very fortunate people. But true blessing comes with obedience. And, but I'm training these. Many of them are farmers. And I did all this training for them on landmines and all of these things that they face. <laughs> and they come up to me the next day and they said, here's what we got out of your training. You're a cop and you've figured out how to use what God has given you to do ministry. 
which is not the point of my training. But he said, you know, we're farmers, and we thought, what can we do for the gospel? You know, but we realized, hey, if God can use you, there's got to be a ministry for us in what we do. And what I want to, what they also told me was, uh, as we parted ways, we'll pray for you and you pray for us. I thought, wow, what a simple, powerful statement. Sometimes when the English is not so good, people boil things down to beautifully simple things. And so what I want to do in a minute is is I want to pray for you guys because I know everybody wants to pray for people serving overseas. But, um, you know, I want to pray for you guys because we all have this race to run. We can all look at like Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run the race with endurance that God has set before us because regardless if you're a Burma farmer or, uh, you know, a ministry leader in India, um, whether you're an Oklahoma girl in uh, Israel, you're serving here in the local church capacity leadership, you have your ministry at your work, we're all called to run this race. We're all called to put the armor on. And my hope is that through discipleship and reflection, we can figure out what is that next step for me. And and the last story that I'll leave you with before I pray, right before I came here, I actually shaved all my hair before I came, and I've I've been gone so long on this trip that I'm I'm as hairy as I am now. So I've been on the road for a month, month and a half, two months. But it started from Thailand, and then I went down to Australia to do a training with uh, 20 bush pilots that do flights into like Papua New Guinea and places like that. And I was training them, and then I was flying from there to Japan, and I'm sitting on a plane next to a guy, and he was just one of those guys that really wanted to meet a cop, and he just really enjoyed meeting an American cop, and he was asking me all these use of force questions and all of these things, and I'm telling him a little what I do, and it gets to that point where I'm going to tell him the why of what I do. And it's like, ah, Australia, a very secular place. I mean, the church we were visiting there was persecuted for taking a stand against homosexuality by their church they split from. So <clears throat> I'm thinking, oh, this isn't going to go over well, but I'm like, what, here's why we do what we do. We're, we're followers of Christ. We're helping people bring the presence uh, of God to these places and sustain it despite the threats. And he kind of went, mm, like that. And I thought, oh, there it was. You know, I've drawn that wall up. <clears throat> we sat, well, you put the earbuds in. Three hours later, take them off. We're doing small talk on the plane. He said, this is my wife. Those are my two 18-year-old daughters on the other side of the plane. He said, you know, when I told you, when you told me that you were Christian, I thought back because my grandma took me to church. He said, I grew up in that environment. And he said, very sorrowfully, he said, I never passed that on to my daughters. He said, just, you know, they believe what they believe because of school and science, and it's like I never push back on it. And you could see the regret that he had as he now had 18-year-old girls. And so I, for, for some people, I think what we need to do is put the armor of God and just 
start doing spiritual battle within our own home. So the Bible says uh, to stand firm. So I'm going to ask if people stand up while I pray. Lord, I just thank you for this congregation of the faithful. I really just have a sense here that this is, a, this is a congregation of the faithful. And I pray that we can learn to uh, put on the armor of God, that we can put on the helmet of salvation and we can understand our own uh, place. We can understand our salvation. And in that, we can have compassion and love for people. And I pray that in that compassion, Lord, that we have a desire to bring them the truth of the gospel, the best gift, the best thing that we have to give to them, and that we can, we can work to be found credible, to have trust, to have a voice, and to have influence in people's lives. And I pray that we can take up the shield of faith, And that we can really understand our purpose in the value of a life of service and ministry uh, for your kingdom, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.